everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I am your host of the show. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety, and uh, thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, boy, this is episode 75. Can you imagine? Episode 75. So we're getting up there, everybody. So thank you all so much for joining me again today. Um, if you want to know more about the podcast, first off, it is a question and answer based podcast. So if you have questions about OCD or anxiety or any of the subtypes of, of either one of those things, including phobias, social anxiety, um, generalized anxiety, things like that, um, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go over to submit a question link. And you can sit, uh, submit your question. I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. And that is exactly what this episode is going to be all about today. It's going to be another jumble of questions and answers uh, for uh, from listeners. Uh, and uh, and you could send in your questions. And, and by the way, I, I've, I've said this before. If, if you have... If you have any follow-up to to a question that you perhaps sent in previously uh, and want to let uh, the listeners know how things are going for you, uh, what's been going on since then, what worked, what didn't work, um, let me know. Send it in over there, over the podcast. I'll be more than happy to put that up and because uh, I want to know how things are going and I know the listeners want to know as well. Um, also, if you have just have a general success story, maybe you don't have a question for the podcast, but but you want to just kind of share in your share and celebrate in your progress against uh, against your anxieties. Let me know as well, and that and that's through the fearcastpodcast.com a Submit a question link. You still go there. There's going to be a little drop down menu that's going to say success story, and you can send in your success story. So I want to try to make that a regular thing. Uh, so uh, if you have yours and you'd be willing to share it, and again, you can share these anonymously for any question that people get sent in. I don't know, there may be someone out there who, who wants to ask a question, but is just really concerned about how that's going to go. Uh, you can go over to the pot. When you go over and submit a question, uh, you, I, I do ask you for your real name because, um, for various legal reasons, I do need to know your real name. But I also say, what is the fake name that you would like me to share in your question? So give me whatever name you want, and that will be the name for the episode. The reason I ask for your name and email address is just in case something crazy happens or in case it's an emergency and I need to get in touch with you. Uh, I will have that information, but that information doesn't go anywhere. It is kept confidential, so it is not going to go anywhere. But um, but I, I also recognize that just gosh just even sending in a question can be can be an exposure in and of itself. So if you want to take that risk and send one in, I'd be more than happy to to read it. And again, I am I am honored that uh, anybody has sent in. So anybody and everybody who has sent in their questions, um, it, it's it is it it is a it is a honor that I can be a part of your recovery story. And as cheesy as that sounds, that's fine. Now, I also haven't talked about this in a while, but um, optimally, I... I I would love to have people send in their questions as an, in an audio format to hear your voice, your voice actually asking the question. So uh, you can send me a question or you can send me your question audibly uh, through through actually one of two ways, and I might experiment with other ways to do that. But uh, you can send me an audio through Instagram. So you can check me out at uh, Fearcast Podcast at Instagram, and you can just message me your audio. I might I will then ask you some questions uh, just to get your 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 permission to post it. Um, but uh, but you can send me your audio and I will put uh, all audio questions in, in priority for uh, for a future episode. 
You can also send me your audio if you record it via Zoom. So if you go to Zoom, and probably Skype does this as well, uh, but you can just audio record yourself. And uh, on the little uh, uh, on the bottom of the screen, at least for Zoom, there's a little record button. Just click that. Click uh, as as you're just recording your video. But it can you can extract the audio and it'll save it just as an individual audio file. And you can email me that at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. So it's spelled how you think, questions at fearcastpodcast.com, uh, and send in your audio. And I'd love to hear it and I'll put and put that in a future episode because, you know, you hear a lot of my voice in these episodes and I totally get it that you can one can only have so much of my, my wonderful voice. So uh, I'm going to encourage people, send in your audio. I think it will, it will add a little something special to future episodes. So... Um, everybody, I, I hope everyone's doing well. I know this episode is coming out a little late. It is indeed Labor Day here in uh, America, and um, here I am laboring. Uh, I, I suppose laboring. I'm talking into a microphone. Super duper hard work. But um, here I am today uh, doing this. I did not get to do it this weekend. Just craziness is happening uh, all, all the time. But here we are. Hopefully it will get out tomorrow, but uh, if not, it'll probably go out the next day. So thank you so much for your patience on that. So everyone, fun news coming up is going to be the IOCDF, so the International OCD Foundation. Uh, it's Their conference is coming up, so that's going to be October 8th to the 10th. If you haven't already signed up, I'd encourage you to go over to the IOCDF.org website and you can sign up uh, to go to that conference. And it is going to be a virtual conference. So um, what's great about conferences is that, is that one, there's going to be a, a huge range of different conferences. Uh, uh, classes or lectures that uh, that you can attend just to just to really get uh, a, a, a huge amount of information about OCD OCD treatment so um, it, the the classes can certainly range from just very basic introductory stuff so for folks who are really new to all of this and just need to get just need to get clarity on what this process is how it works and and what success can look like all the way down to real specific nitty-gritty stuff stuff that sometimes is just designed for therapists that so it can sound very technical um, but uh, but and there's everything else in between for for families and individuals there are oftentimes groups uh, that that go on support groups uh, sometimes there are meet and greets for people in different uh, geographical areas so uh, go over to uh, iocdf.org and uh, and check out the conference um, again it's uh, October 8th to the 10th um, I will be speaking um, at this conference as well. I know I, I spoke at a, a, a local OCD or IOCDF conference, but this is going to be the national conference. So I'll be speaking again with Kelly Frankie and Lauren McMeekin. They're going to join me to talk about how to deal with OCD when it attacks and weasels its way in to your your personal interests, stuff that you actually care about, stuff that you love. Um, a lot of people get really concerned that if their OCD starts to attack their personal interests, that they, they have to just kiss it goodbye and they can never do it again. And I, I don't think that that is true. I don't think that's the case. And, uh, and I know that can be particularly scary for folks when it comes to, you know, ROCD or it comes to, you know, comes to harm OCD. People get really concerned that, you know, they're never going to be able to drive again. They're never going to be able to cook again. Uh, scrupulosity has this a lot. They may have this belief that they just need to abandon their faith. And ultimately that's just not the case. So um, uh, Lauren Kelly and I are going to be talking uh, uh, all about that, so feel free to join us for that. But um, again, 
check out the conference schedule and you can find, I'm sure you can find something that is of interest to you. So, so today I've got a pretty wide range of topics we're going to be talking about. So if you want to get more details about what those questions are and the exact time breakdown, you can go over to the episode page at fearcastpodcast.com uh, or at the uh, the Instagram link that I'll send out for it or for announcing this. Uh, it'll have the individual uh, or where in the episode by uh, time, by minute and second, when you can just skip to the question of interest if you aren't the if you aren't some of the per or if you aren't one of the people who just start at the beginning and go all the way through to the end. So, without further ado, let's get on to those questions. Okay, so this first question comes from Katie. Katie says, Hi, I have a question about my somatic OCD. I'm a student studying acting, and this kind of OCD makes it incredibly difficult to rehearse when my somatic obsessions and compulsions are bad. I have intrusive thoughts about my voice not being free or resonant or projecting enough, along with the fear that the throat tension could occur and hinder the quality of my voice. Oddly, this fear of tensing actually leads to tensing at my throat and swallowing more than usual. These compulsions, of course, make speaking freely and strongly only more difficult. And when I try to read technique books like Freeing the Natural Voice, which set out to address any tension and make someone better and more relaxed speaker through detailed practices, it only makes things worse. So this is my question. I don't feel like my compulsion of tensing up relieves my fear of throat tension. It only exacerbates my condition. I've heard compulsions are reactions to thoughts and are meant to ease briefly, and obviously not effectively, those thoughts. My compulsions are super uncomfortable and make things worse. The tension usually comes on about 30 minutes after waking up in the morning and persists all day. Every now and then, I get a break. My current therapist told me to try to merely notice my sensations, to think, hmm, my throat feels a little tense, instead of assigning fear to them. This hasn't helped very much so far. How should I try to deal with these thoughts and compulsions? Please know I'm on the waitlist to see an ERP therapist, so I'll have support, but I just thought I might reach out to see if you had any creative solutions. Let me know if you'd like more clarification on my question. All right, Katie. Well, thank you so much for this question. Gosh, I've heard stories like this before where people are in uh, the performing arts, and obviously there needs to be an incredible focus on one's voice and projecting and wanting to have uh, wanting to have clarity, wanting to have confidence, and wanting to have projection to reach the back seats uh, in, in a large theater. So yeah, you're certainly not the only person who can get obsessed with their voice, how it sounds and what's going on. But obviously, what's happening for you is that OCD is now attaching itself to this and making it this imperative that you figure it out. And more frustratingly, the, the obsession on this is then now causing more of this tension that, uh, that you're hoping to relieve. So somatic OCD is often treated by by uh, addressing very specifically the fear associated with the bodily sensation, the function, or whatever the somatic uh, uh, sensation is. And it can be either you know these things internally or externally. Um, somatic OCD is often often also called hyper awareness or sensory motor OCD. All of these terms ultimately fit, and again, all these terms ultimately just mean it's OCD, but about a bodily function or sensation. So treating this is going to look like trying to figure out what the feared story is for you and trying to tolerate the, the, that, possible, that, that, that possible outcome for you. 
And again, it's not it's not ultimately saying that you need to be okay with it. You need to be happy with the, that potential outcome, but that we need to allow for that thought to be there, but without giving it any undue attention and it, without giving it uh, any further energy by giving it more thought or more of our time. Now, the way that you've gone about doing this is actually really common. So folks think, well, my problem is this tension that I'm feeling. Well, let me work on this tension. So if I can figure out the tension, then I'll then it will stop the problem from ever happening. Now, I get that. And I think the average person in, in your situation would and potentially should go down that path. But what you're finding is that you have you've tried that, but it's just going back into this feedback loop where it, there there's tension, so you're adding tension, there's more tension, so the tension that you're giving it isn't relieving the original tension and just causing more tension. It, it's You're finding that it's ultimately unhelpful, right? So we need to approach this in this different way. So as you're approaching this, certainly scripting is going to be really helpful. Scripting is going to be my number one approach for um, somatic OCD. And really just writing out that story that you're afraid of happening, actually happening in this story and all the fallout of your career falling apart and not having a career or blowing out your voice and then not never being able to speak and whatever that feared story is for you. And again, focusing not just on the sensation, not on that feeling, but on the the, the effects of it. That, in other words, that that thing that you're trying to control by thinking about your tension and, and trying to fix your voice. If all of that goes sideways, what is the effect? And that's what needs to be sat with, not as a way to say this is definitely going to happen, but as a way of saying, "Gosh, this thought sucks." But it's a thought, and it's a potential future that I don't like. But I ultimately don't need to do anything about this. This thought can be in my head and it can float around, but I don't need to give it really any attention. Yes, I know it's a little backward to think I'm going to give it no, I'm going to give it little attention by, I'm going to give it no attention by giving it attention while reading about it. But it is for the purpose of ultimately being able to sit with that story without fighting against it, without trying to shut it down, without trying to tell yourself it's never going to happen. So. Ultimately, also with mindf- mindfully approaching your somatic obsessions. Now, we need to, again, give these thoughts less attention. I, I agree with your current therapist where they say, you know, to, to, not, to not really, ass- well, I, I, I don't know about the phrase assigning it fear. It's not like you've said, I'm going to assign it fear. It's in your responses over time, you have reinforced that fear response. So your brain has said, oh, my throat is dangerous or my tension is dangerous. So I ought to be afraid of that. So your body is going to produce this fight or flight response to it. And you've responded to it in kind as if it is dangerous. So when we can approach it and intentionally say, I'm gonna I'm gonna react as if it isn't dangerous. So I, I to a certain degree I like that phrase, mm, my throat feels a little tense, in terms of simply just acknowledging the thing that is there, but that's it. And even that is giving it too much attention. But yep, yeah, there's my throat. It feels like that. And then shifting off to pretty much anything else, anything else in life that you want to focus on or do or or sing or dance or whatever it is. But it's to say, yep, there's that tension. We're going to create space in your life for the tension in your throat. Because sometimes we have tension in our throat. It's not inherently a bad thing, but the more that we think about something, the more that we're going to think about it. So the more that you're thinking about your throat, the more tension it is going to be there. So we're trying to give that tension less attention. Over time, your brain will slowly disconnect that associated fear to that 
bodily sensation. So this is the part of my my guidance here that I would encourage you to talk about your current therapist with, and especially if you're currently working with this ERP therapist, to talk about with them. It's to say, when you have tension, is there an easy and an easy and simple way for you to practice relaxation exercises with your throat? Not to say that you're going to spend 20, 30 minutes every time you feel even a little bit of tension, you're going to take your time to do this. But if there is so much tension that it is it is limiting your speech, and I'm reading into this a lot. But if it gets to that point where it's causing you physical pain, or it's limiting, actually limiting your function, not not I can't speak as freely as you know in my in my optimal way, or as I used to when I was you know 15 or whatever it is. But if if it's if it's really stopping you, perhaps working with someone and talking with your therapist about this in terms of what relaxation exercises you can do, the idea would be. When you feel that tension, not to say I need to apply more tension here or I need to apply more attention to it, but instead practicing those relaxation exercises and then moving on with your day. Even if it's, you said you feel it more in the morning, maybe it's that's when you practice your relaxation exercises. And then throughout the day, as you start to notice the tension, we acknowledge, yeah, my throat is going to vary in its tension. It's going to vary in the tightness and, and all of that. And we're going to allow for that various, uh, uh, that various level and then shift on and keep talking and speaking and singing and whatever it is that you do and, and then not paying as much attention to it or as little attention as possible. So, so I know I'm kind of talking out of two sides of my mouth here by saying we can practice these relaxation techniques and not give it attention. And I, I recognize that is paradoxical. But I think that might be something to talk with your ERP therapist to really work on where, when those, act, those activities become compulsive and when they seem to be a reasonable help. Another way to reframe that that relaxation kind of mindset I'm telling you about, or, or relaxation exercise, is is not to do it so that you get back to your perfect voice, or to do it so that everything is going to be okay and that feared story is not going to come true, but it's to get back to that place of of just showing yourself that you can have the awareness of it in a relaxed way, that you can you can be relaxed in the face of losing your voice, in the face of of completely destroying your ability to perform. If even a simple inhale and relaxing exhale can help during during that one moment where you're feeling that physical tension, and then you can shift on and, and just allow to allow whatever remnant anxiety or tension is there to be there as you continue to live your day, that can be better than turning your attention to and fighting that feeling. Uh, until it's completely eradicated. So that can be something to work on with your therapist. I'm not going to give you any definitive guidance on exactly when to do this because you're not in my office and you're not on my couch, so I can't read your mind. I'm reading your mind as best I possibly can. So Katie, I, I hope this has been helpful and not just further confusing, but um, but I hope things are going well with your current ERP therapist. And again, this is one of those questions that I would love to hear feedback on. If you um, uh, uh, if you have worked with a therapist and gotten success on this, what worked, what didn't work? Because I think there are going to be plenty of people out there who are going to want to know, um, obviously myself included. And to everybody out there, if if you have had a similar uh a similar struggle like this, um, send in, uh, go to, go to fearcast podcast, fearcastpodcast.com and go to the submit a question link there and you can give me some feedback on, on what you might add and give and give Katie or what, <clears throat> 
and you can add a little bit to this. So if you have advice for Katie or you want to give some follow-up to that, let me know and I will add that to a future episode. So again, Katie, I hope this has been helpful and best of luck. All right, so this next question comes from Cherry. Cherry says, I am a, quote, 25-year-old female who has always been very comfortable and confident with herself. As a teen, I've also been the type of person to say things that others wouldn't say. For example, quote, nice boobs to my friends or to run around the locker room naked due to my silliness. I find I'm a very adaptable person, and because I'm a person who has so many sides to herself, I connect with different people in different ways. Fast forward to my relationship with my boyfriend of five years. I kind of always knew we weren't very much alike, but I stuck it out because I adapted to him and who he was, and I was always used to having to do things like that. I finally made the decision once I felt the person I was being in that relationship wasn't making me happy for a very long time. I felt like I was losing a side of myself through being with him. Shortly after, I developed HOCD. About two months ago, I began to think, what if I really don't know who I am? What if my answer is to be in a relationship with a woman? What if men just don't get me? I've always been attracted to men and never doubted this before. The thought of this made me sad and scared. I've heard a lot of mention of people saying HOCD can stem from a lack of confidence or poor self-esteem, and I can understand that. The last two years I've been struggling with my body image terribly. I've done ERP and I'm a bit more desensitized to the idea of homosexuality, but now my main issue is that I feel I'm losing attraction to men. I've become numb in a way. I find myself checking out females and immediately getting uncomfortable when I notice an attractive female. I'm not sure what to do or tell myself while I'm doing this. I know I shouldn't avoid the situation or reassure myself, but what do I tell myself when my stomach sinks from seeing a pretty female? I want to meet the right guy and fall in love, but my brain has disconnected with the opposite sex. What can I do? All right, Cherry, thank you so much for sending this in. So you asked, what do I tell myself when my stomach sinks from seeing a pretty female? Well, Cherry, who said you had to do anything? Who said you had to say anything to yourself? Who said you had to do anything other than simply notice that you see the pretty female and you feel the feeling? Who cares? It's that physical sensation that all of a sudden now your brain has associated with danger or all of a sudden meaning something and you are following through. Ultimately, you don't need to do anything other than notice it. That feeling has been reinforced and that fear has been strengthened by, at some point, you noticed an attractive woman and you might have had that feeling and you went, oh, that must mean something. That's bad. That's scary. That's dangerous. I don't like it. I better get rid of it. So I've got to do something. So you did something and you felt confident and safe again, or you felt certain that you were all right. So your brain went, you know what? Cherry thinks this is important. Cherry thinks that thought is dangerous because she did these safety things. Well, it must be dangerous. So now, whenever we notice an attractive woman, let's produce this feeling. Let's give her that fight or flight feeling again because we want to keep her alive. We want to keep her safe. We want to make sure that she's going to avoid danger. And apparently, attractive women are dangerous. So let's give her that stomach drop feeling. That'll be great. That'll keep her safe. So you keep following through on it. Ultimately, Cherry, you don't need to do anything about it. 
ultimately it's that feeling that we need to let be. And that sounds crazy to you. That sounds like it's, one, it may feel like it's impossible. It may feel like something that is, is just the complete opposite of everything that your body and your brain are telling you to do. But when you notice an attractive woman, we don't need to say anything. Even just saying, oh, there's an attractive woman, and have that feeling. Even that is giving it too much attention, right? So it's that feeling that we just make space for. And we wait. And we wait to see if the, the world turns over, or dangerous things happen, or all of a sudden you become gay. But I'm willing to bet that's not going to happen. But I've been wrong before. Now, I'm sure that wasn't very reassuring, but then again, I'm not very reassuring. And that's the whole point, right? Your story, Cherry, is actually really common. I work with a lot of folks who have HOCD, or um, also known as sexual orientation OCD, um, and, and they start to notice a waning and a waxing of their attraction towards their preferred, uh, preferred sex, preferred gender. And it, it can feel very confusing. Now, sometimes there can be a, 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 maybe a misinterpretation of the feelings, and they've, they've associated attraction with a lack of anxiety. Or they've attracted, they, they've, and, and, and what can also be confusing is, you know, when, when people describe falling in love, they kind of say, like, oh, you know, I just, my, I just felt my, my heart racing, and I felt like my, you know, my, I had butterflies in my stomach, and it was so exciting, and I just had felt, felt just, just warm all over and tingly all over. And, you know, that's also how people describe anxiety, right? I saw a snake, and all of a sudden, my stomach dropped, and my heart started racing, and my my skin just went just just hot. Everything with within me just felt uncomfortable, and I had to run. Right? Feeling like you're falling in love is also like seeing a dangerous snake. So put that on a shirt, everybody. So there you go. But it's the same sort of thing, and it can be really confusing. So, Chad, the long story short is, it, it, I, I'm I'm reading in your question that you are trying to get this, you're trying to get this or a specific feeling of attraction back, and I don't know what that feeling is for you, but you're saying I don't have it. Well, the more that you look for it, and the more that you say this is the only thing that I need, the more that that thing becomes an, a, a point of anxiety. That thing becomes. Uh, elusive, because you've kind of created this all-or-nothing sort of mindset with it. Furthermore, when we ha- when we're feeling anxious and 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 nervous, and we're really sucked into an obsession, it's it, it can throw off just the natural feelings that we have about something. So, so I'd say g- give this give this time. And let yourself feel whatever it is that you feel. And, and practice just radical acceptance with those sensations and the feelings, with what, wherever it is on the scale. If you're feeling one day 100% attracted to men, great. If you're feeling 1% attracted to men, great. You've described yourself as someone who, who would, would like to pursue relationships with men. Well, Cherry, I'll say then go pursue relationships with men as best you can, as safely as you can, as reasonably as you can, and accept whatever feelings happen to be there that day. 
Some days you're going to be super into it, some days you're not. And let then that that feeling and that thought about what that feeling or lack thereof mean for you just kind of sit there and float. But we're also not going to give that thought any more any more time or attention or meaning by then fighting with it or by making it into something else. But we're going to say, yeah, there's that feeling. Okay. And then we're going to simply move on with it, move on to the next thing or move on to another interaction. Also, whenever I read about someone feeling numb, I, I depression always comes into my mind. And I wonder to what degree depression is at play here. And also then what, what you're doing in your life to, to both fight against onset of depression and to pursue a life that you actually want and enjoy. Sometimes when we feel depressed, we just, we avoid and we hide and we, and we, we don't do the things that we actually enjoy doing. We don't do valuable, meaningful things for us. And we just kind of hope that that feeling of numbness and sadness will go away. When in reality, we, when we pick ourselves up and we go and pursue things in life that we actually care about and value, oftentimes our, our, that positive feeling or that feeling that we want and, and, and just joy and meaning comes back. Slowly but surely, it does. So that's, that's one thing that I would encourage you to work on with your therapist if you currently have one, is what are the things that you are doing that is provide, providing meaning and, and what are you doing that's moving you closer towards that person that you ultimately want to be? So I'll, I'll give you that further direction, but at the core of it, I would say when these feelings and thoughts come up, to ultimately simply acknowledge that they're there and say, yeah, they're there. Okay. And, and now what? And now what's the next thing in, in my day? Now, of course, there are a bunch of exposure and response prevention things you can do. And if you're working with a therapist, some of those things may be helpful. But, um, but starting just with the, the allowance of the feeling and doing less. So not having to insert some sort of statement into your day to make sure it's okay or to, or to have the right response to it. We just allow it. We're doing less. We're incorporating more feels into your day, including this one. And when we allow more feelings, some of the good ones come in too. So, Jerry, I hope that was helpful and, uh, and best of luck. So this last question comes from Eve. Eve says, hello, thanks so much for this podcast. It has really helped me and has given me tools to deal with my OCD and released me from some of the shame associated with my obsessions. I have a question about obsessions changing quickly and obsessions involving others. I've been through HOCD and TOCD concerning myself. These two obsessions flip back and forth very quickly for me, sometimes giving me a few days off in between. Now, recently after I shared my TOCD with fears with my current partner, he told me that when he was young, he had been mistaken for a woman several times. I've begun analyzing if he is transgender without knowing it. I don't really care if he is trans, and in some ways it might help with my worry about being gay. But why do my obsessions change so often and so quickly? And what the heck is happening with me transferring my fears to my partner? All right, Eve. Uh, th- this was a really great question. I thanks so much. And yeah, there, there can th- what, what you're talking about this flip flopping back and forth between obsessions. This is something that is really common. And I work with folks who have, you know, they, they have different subtypes, right? They they have OCD, right? But they 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 have different subtypes or, or themes 
within their anxiety, and it can flip back and forth. I've, I've started calling it flavor of the week OCD, in the sense that someone comes in one week and we're starting to target you know, sexual orientation OCD, and then next week it's going to be harm, and the week after that, it is, uh, you know, existential. And then the week after that, we're back to sexual orientation, OCD, and it can just be all, all over the place. So at the end of the day, what that would really just mean is that that we, we need to and you need to be more tolerant just of all the stuff that your brain gives you and that we can we can step back and just kind of be in awe and impressed with the, just the, the myriad of things that your brain thinks about and all of the ways that it's trying to snag you and pull you in, that, that we can anticipate some of those uh, those obsessions and some of the, that flip-flopping. So when it is for you HOCD or sexual orientation OCD and for another week it's going to be TOCD or or I'm anticipating TOCD for you means transgender uh, OCD, is that, um, is that when it does switch or flip, you can say, oh, we're on to this one. Okay, here we are. All right, well, I guess this is my obsession. You know, yep, maybe this week I'm gay, or maybe this week I must be trans. All right, here we go. And we'll see what happens. Or, you know, all right, this week I'm gay. Well, all right, I'm gay, and I have this meeting, and I'm gay, and, you know, you know, yes, my, my partner's going to leave me, and everything is going to be terrible, and I'm going to be judged wherever I go, but we'll see what happens, right? And kind of leaning into it, almost in a, almost in a humorous way, but, um, but ultimately within that, not going down that rabbit hole of then the analysis for yourself. Why did it switch? What does it mean? Is now... Is it now more transgender is my concern? Now is it more my my sexuality that is of concern? So not getting into that analysis, but just saying, you know what? I've got other things to do, and I'm going to let go of the process of the analysis. Now, to the point about it, it, it transferring over to your partner, well, my question to you is, what is the fear associated with that? Is there a feared story associated with this for you? And, and really think about, like, if that were to be true, if it were to be, if he were to be trans, well, what would that mean for you? What would that look like? What would be so bad about that, right? And I don't mean that flippantly, like, for you, what is the fear about that? And then you can practice some exposures to that story. Now, as I mentioned before to some of the previous uh, questioners, is that we're, we're trying to not associate our, uh, that thought with our response of fear. Now, we can't control whether or not we feel anxious or we feel afraid with these thoughts, but we can control our response to it. Are we responding in a way that would show that this is a feared thought? Or are you responding to this thought as if it is nothing, as if it's just a thought, as if it's just a thing that's happening? So the, the key for you is going to be in that, that analyzing about his transgender status. So he said, I've begun analyzing if he is transgender. Well, first thing to do is catch yourself when you're analyzing. When you find yourself in the middle of analysis, call yourself out on this and even lean into this. Just go, you know what? He, he probably is. He probably is. Yep. And then also, well, what does that mean for you? Right? Well, and everything is going to be terrible from here on out or everything is going to be awful. Right? Or people are, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to get all this judgment from my friends and family. I don't know what that fear is again, but, but the, the first thing to do is to catch yourself when you're, when you're analyzing and, and hard stop on that analysis and just let that thought then float. Let it be there. He might be, he might not be. It doesn't matter. We'll find out, right? 
If he is, we will find out. If he is not, we will not find out. But it's not happening right now. If he comes to you and says, I'm transgender and I'm coming out to you as someone who's transgender. Great, then guess what? He is transgender. Question answered. But until that conversation happens, the, an- the analysis is just going to be a waste of time and is going to be proving your brain's assertion that this thought is somehow bad or dangerous or scary and deserves the analysis. It doesn't. We'll find out when we find out, right? So we'll see. But leaving the active analysis alone, right? If you're working with a therapist, you can certainly work on scripting what that might be, what the what the outcome might be in terms of then tolerating what thoughts or feelings come up for you, not as a way to then prove that you are okay with the feelings, but just to show yourself that you can live and have those feelings at the same time and that they're going to be okay and that we can live with that uncertainty and that we can live without knowing and you'll find out. So I hope that answered your question, Eve. Um, and, and, you know, to put it simply, what the heck is happening with you transferring your fears to your partner? Man, our anxiety does crazy weird stuff, doesn't it? And it can just jump on anything and jump into any weird direction it wants. So, again, I hope this was helpful. And if you have feedback on this or want to share what things have been like since you sent this in, feel free to let me know. But thanks again for the question. All right. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. Oh boy. Again, 75, 75 episodes. We're doing it, everybody. So again, everybody, if you have any feedback on some of my responses to these questions, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and let me know over there. Uh, You can let me know in the show notes of this or or in in the comments on this show episode page. Um, And again, you can also message it in at uh, the submit question link. So um, if, uh, if you have a moment and, uh, and would like to and you could write a review, that would be fantastic. Go over to iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Write a review, preferably five stars or a thumbs up or whatever, whatever, whatever function it is, it is over there. And you can also write a review. It does mean a lot to me. And uh, I, if, if you do like the show, the best thing that you could do is just tell someone about it. If you, if you think it would be helpful for them, let them know about it. And uh, uh, hopefully it will be helpful to them as well. So um, everybody, IOCDF is coming. The conference is coming. So check that out at IOCDF.org. Uh, you can also just Google IOCDF 2021 conference. It'll pop right up. It'll be right there. Um, so, uh, everybody feel free to check me out as well over at fearcastpodcast.com or at uh, Instagram. I'm fearcastpodcast there. Um, and, uh, uh leave me a message over there. It'd be delightful. All right. So please remember everybody that this uh, show is not substitute psychotherapy. If you would like help in your own treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You can go over to the find help link and there's going to be some stuff up there that may be helpful for you. So, all right, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously.